Okay, uh, for those of you who have the handout, um, I've got everything in the handout. I do. If, I know some of you like to go to your Bibles and look look through and stuff, but we've got a lot to look through tonight, so I didn't want to um, kind of made it easier for me to put my notes together and so on. So you can you can open your Bibles to Ezekiel if you would. We're going to spend a lot of time there, uh, but for the most part, everything else is right here in the handout. This is part two of what we call uh, of what we are looking into and studying the characteristics of God's grace. And I've titled tonight's study, Regenerating Grace. We began this topical study last week on the characteristics of God's grace, and we began where we should, in the beginning, before time itself, with the covenant of grace. That was what our topic was for last week. And truly, that study will follow us throughout the rest of all these studies, because that's the basis. The basis of God's grace all boils down to the covenant between the great three and one, the love that God had for people before a star ever twinkled in the sky. Everything boils back to that, that our great God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who receives all the glory. Paragraph two on page one. What does the word regeneration mean? The Greek word is elenchi ea. It means spiritual rebirth, the state or the act. That is figuratively spiritual renovation, specifically messianic restoration, regeneration. It comes from the word palin, which means anew, make new. I once made a mistake. I once mistakenly stated God restored the old heart to himself. And I was immediately corrected, and rightly so. God does not restore an old heart. He removes it. He restores life where there was none. Listen to the words of Ezekiel 36, verse 24 through 27. He says, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. He's speaking to spiritual Israel. Now, at this particular part, part, at point of time, Ezekiel was the prophet to Israel. So he was speaking to the people of Israel, but we know that the people of Israel were a picture of God's people throughout all time. So he's talking to all of us. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And we know that the water usually... 99.9% of the time when it speaks of water in the scriptures, it's talking about the gospel going forth. Clean water upon you. He's going to sprinkle it. Now, I know he uses preachers to preach the gospel, but it's God who must do a work in a man's heart. It's God who does the work in the heart of men. He will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Isn't that wonderful? How? I know it's difficult. I know in this flesh we become weak and we don't we don't trust some things, we, we hear them, but we just we just don't feel like folks, I'm telling you right now, don't trust your feelings. This is God's word. Here's something you can trust, his word, and ye shall be clean. If Christ sprinkles you with clean water, you shall be clean. He doesn't sprinkle people that he's not gonna make clean. 
from all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you, saith the Lord. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. The heart we speak of is the inner being, the spirit. All mankind come into this world spiritually with spiritually dead hearts, cold, dead hearts against the truths of God. We have no understanding of spiritual things. Listen to Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Page 2. For to be carnally minded, that is, that means uh, earthly minded, that means your natural mind is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Folks, if God's given you a spirit of life, if he's given life to a cold, dead spirit and put a live spirit in you, you're going to have peace at some point. Even if all that peace is, is I trust God. You're not going to have peace with your flesh. Your flesh is going to battle your spirit all the rest of these days until the Lord takes you out of this world. But if your spirit is the spirit of God, you will have peace in him. Every time you take your eyes off of yourself and look to our Lord and Savior, just as Moses lifted up the, the serpent and, uh, above the, the people so they could all look to the brazen serpent. If we look to Christ, we find there's peace. You look to the flesh, you're going to find nothing but turmoil. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity, enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, oh, Lord, help us to understand that. There's nothing in this flesh that we can do that's going to please God. Only in Christ are we pleasing in the sight of God. The word enmity is a very strong word. It's ekrathah. Even the, even the Greek word of it is ekrathah. Doesn't that sound like it's harsh? It is. It means hostility. By implication, a reason for opposition, enmity, hatred. Folks, we come into this world hating God, hating his word, enemies with him, and we cannot discern his truths. We are carnally minded, in other words, of this flesh. Our natural born instinct is to satisfy this flesh, satisfying the lust of the flesh, as we read in Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, that means our life, our walk in this world, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I don't know about you folks, but I know, I know that's where I was. I, I was blind. 
But now I see, I see the color blue. I see the grace of God in doing a work in a body, in a man who is just destined to earn his way into hell. Where there was once nothing but death, life must be given. Life must be restored. Regeneration must occur. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we know this story very well. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. He was ashamed to come during the day. He didn't want anybody to see him. He came by night. He was a ruler. He was one of the guys out there raising up, raising up their fist. He did stand up for the Lord Jesus, kind of, in the trial. Kind of, but not fully. And he came to the Lord by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, didn't even call him Lord. He said, Rabbi, I know you're a good teacher, is what he's saying. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus was doing miracles all over. You know how many people didn't see that, couldn't see that at all? Nicodemus saw it a little bit. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Now, now I ask you, is this not clear? Is this not very, very clear? of what the Lord is saying, to be born again, you got nothing to do with that. You can't do anything to, to help that. You can't do anything to take it away from that. You had nothing to do with your natural birth. That's what this is all about. We have nothing to do with our new, our new birth either. It has to be salvation of the Lord and of the Lord alone. Can we enter a second time and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, there we go, of the gospel, and of the spirit. Now remember, what was the spirit's, what was the, the, the responsibility of the spirit last week when we talked about it? It was to go about and give life. It was to go about and give, we're going to look, we're going to read about that just here in this moment. Uh, we're going to repeat uh, some verses we read last week. Marvel not, he said unto thee, that ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So the expression of the wind blowing is God speaking to us on our level. Isn't that wonderful? Every time I turn around and look at and consider how our God has communicated to us, it just boggles my mind that he would think that he would lower himself to think upon me, one who shook my fist at him and said, I'll not have that one to rule over me. The wind blowing is God speaking to us on our level. It's the Holy Ghost who moves about like the wind, who goes about giving life, regenerating those whom the Father gave to the Son. John 6, verse 63, we read these two verses, these two sets of verses last week. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, that means made alive. It's the Spirit of God who gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, says God, they are spirit and they are life. Titus 3, verse 3 through 7, we read this, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, his grace, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which, and, and I'll back up, I, I skipped, I went by that a little too fast. Now, he, according to his mercy, or his grace, in other words, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. There's that regeneration. Here's the grace of God, the grace. We're saved by his, we're according to his mercy, by his grace. He saved us by the washing, the regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Life must come before one who is dead can act in life. It says you must be born again. That's regenerating grace. That's regenerating grace to be born again. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, made alive, regenerated us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. That phrase, by grace, could be better translated, writes uh, Charles uh, Spurgeon, by whose grace? It, 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 could, it could go either way, but if you use that word, if you use it that way, by, by whose grace ye are saved, it, you can see that it's clearly talking about Christ himself. Now, the Lord of all glory has given his record, his word, a vision to one of his prophets of old that is so clear of the subject of regeneration that we must consider it. So here, if you would, if you're already in turn in your Bibles, we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 37. And I know, I know this is a, a, a very popular set of scriptures. We, we've looked at it in, in my 25 years of studying the, uh, the word of God. I, I can't even, it, it's another part of that Bible, uh, my Bible that is just, I can literally just flip it right open to Ezekiel 37. And it's right, I mean, if, if I go to the book of Ezekiel, it'll flip right all over the other pages and it'll stop on 37. That's how many times I've used this, these scriptures. But it, it, we, we have to look at this. We have to look at this because this, in the Old Testament, it's so clear in what we see here. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, we read, The hand of the Lord was upon me, writes the prophet, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. Folks, God's servants learn nothing until they have an experience similar to that of Ezekiel. They must be led by the spirit of the Lord, and they must have their eyes and mouths opened by him, and then they can both see the vision and tell the vision to others. How often have you heard me say, I'm just, you know, I'm not a theologian. I, 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 don't, I don't study the scriptures like Don Fortner does. I don't study the scriptures like many other preachers do. I study, but not like others. I'm just, I'm just a man sharing with you my experience. Well, how could I share that with you if I hadn't had that experience from God and myself? How could I tell you of the greatness of my Lord's love for me if I didn't have already experienced that love in my life? 
And it's the same thing for you guys. When you when you talk to someone, don't you get excited about expressing what God has done for you to them? Doesn't it excite you to do so? Back in our handout, page four there, we continue with verse one of chapter 37. It says, and he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. Consider it, look, picture, how often, have you ever sat back and picture what that must look like? Big old huge valley. I think of Hope Valley up here in the mountains, uh, right outside of Kirkwood. You drop down off the mountain and it's so steep. You drop almost 3,000 feet down into this valley. So when you're up on top, you can see this huge valley. On both sides, there's mountains. On the far end, there's mountains, a little place where the river goes out the other side. Picture a huge grave site in that valley, battlefield, where the slain had not been buried, where people had just rotted and died, or died and rotted. Baked by the sun. Would any man go into such a place without being sent to such a place? I don't think so. I think I'd turn around and go the other way if God didn't tell me, make clear to me that's where he wanted me to go. Yet it was needful. It was needful that Ezekiel should be there in order that he might understand and speak the message of God. Notice the word valley is used. I cannot help but think of Psalms 23, where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I was telling Pastor Gene about that this morning. You know, that word in when David's writing about that, and he's, he's talking about the valley of death to the world is only a shadow to God's people. Why? Because our Lord and Savior took our death upon him. Did we catch that? Can we, can, we, can we absorb that in our minds? God Almighty provided his son to take our death. So everything we see around us that dies is just a shadow of what's to come. We know that we're not going to be a part of that death. Our Lord's already taken it for us, and we're going to spend eternity in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we journey, back in our hand up, folks, we journey through a dying world. All that is of this earth is dying because of sin. Listen to the words of Genesis 3.17. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened. Here's that. Here's sin entering into the world. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and has eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Now, that word ground is everything. That's not just this earth that we walk on. That's everything. Everything around us, our entire universe that we know of, is all dying. Our sun is dying. The ground Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it in all the days of thy life. Also notice, if you will, this valley is full. Folks, there's no life in it. There was no life in you and I at one time. We were dead in trespasses and sin. That's called total depravity. That's total having nothing, absolutely nothing, not even the ability 
to reach over and take that medication so that so many false preachers like to, if you just reach out and take it, if you just make a decision for Jesus, hogwash. My God made a decision for me, and I'm thankful for that because I know what I would have, I just, if it was left to me, I'd have made, I'd have been just like the people that hung him on the cross. I'd have said, crucify him, crucify him. Ezekiel 37, verse 2, and cause me, writes the, the prophet, to pass by them round about. The preacher had to make a thorough survey of the crime scene. He didn't get to just look out across the valley. He had to go down and, and be passed around it, passed around through it to survey the, the grim scene. You can't tell someone about a place that you've never been. I've tried to express to uh Several of the folks who are coming out here to go to South Lake Tahoe uh, or, or go down to uh, Yosemite. And I tried to express to them, and people have tried to express to me too, what it's like to go to, to stand before the big rock in Yosemite. I couldn't express that to you unless I'd actually gone there and seen it for myself. And even then, you don't understand it until you go and, express it and see it for yourself. Preacher has to know this, know the scene. You can't tell something somebody about a place you've never been. He had to experience it. For one to accurately describe something, one must see it in detail. Continued in verse 2, we read, And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry, open to the sun. They were open to the sun for baking. They had... They had laid there so long that the wind had dried up all the juices of the marrow bones, and they were turned to dust. Verse 3 of Ezekiel 37, and he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Folks, God did not ask this question for his own information. Our God knows all things. But he asked questions, questions that you and I need to answer, and that's how we learn sometimes. He did not ask the question for his own information, but for the prophets. The Lord wanted him to realize the difficulties of the work to which he was called, that he might be driven the more completely to what? To rely upon God and not upon himself. Here we have again another picture of God teaching you and I to quit looking at ourselves. Quit relying on what we think of ourselves. Quit looking for a receipt on what we have done and look to Christ. Look to him. Trust in his word. Lean on him. We can plant. We can water, but only God can give the increase. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter, of, of chapter 37, Ezekiel. And, he, and I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, did you notice the first thing to prophesy is what? The word. What is the word of God? Christ Jesus, the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Prophesy unto these dry bones. Hear, hear the word of the Lord. Recall the story of Naaman in 2 Kings. 
He was told by the prophet Elijah to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Do you remember how foolish Naaman thought that was? He said something to this effect. Why should I go wash in the, the dirty, rotten waters of the Jordan? It, where I come from, we have the, we have the Nile, we have the, 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 the Rhine, we have all the beautiful rivers from where I come from. Why should I go wash in that? It was foolishness. <clears throat> Ezekiel's task of preaching to dry bones must have seemed to be as useless as that. Yet if God bids us to do the same, we don't need any other justification for doing it. The Lord's sending me here. Now, I'll tell you something, I didn't make any excuses when the Lord brought me here to, to minister here that day when he made, uh, when he obviously, to, to those of us that were present in that meeting, uh, put me in the position at that time to be the minister here. I wasn't even sure of it at that time either. It wasn't for six months till finally we prayed about it and, and the Lord led me to that. But still, it, this is what the Lord put me to do. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He says, what is foolish in the sight of reason is wisdom in the judgment of faith. That's kind of like, it's kind of like, where are the wise? Did not God put away all the wisdom of this world? Is not the wisdom of God foolishness to this world? In verses, uh, verses five through six of, of Ezekiel, we read these words, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up, bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. He had to tell these dry bones the unconditional purposes and promises of God. What are those unconditional and promises of God? I will. What a promise. What a wonderful promise. I will. And he also promises, ye shall. Ye shall live. And this is the way in which God works out his eternal purposes concerning the sons of men. He bids his servants to proclaim his message, and then he fulfills his own purpose and promises in us. <laughs> Take my yoke upon you, says the Lord Jesus Christ. It is easy. Oh, folks. What we can't do, and that's everything, our Lord can do it all. In verse 7, so I prophesied, says the prophet Ezekiel, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. <laughs> oh, folks, that day that James came here, James Luther, that day that he came here to this church, I was so surprised. I was like, hey, what are you doing here? And he told me what he was doing there. And then afterwards, to see the noise, I heard a noise in that man's heart. I heard a noise, just like Pastor Gene saw and heard a noise in you and I when the Lord called us through the preaching of his gospel. There was a noise, a rustle, a noise, a movement. Listen to Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that go forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I plead, and it shall prosper in the thing whereinto I send it. If God sends, is sending his word, 
it will accomplish it. But don't don't think that's just an it's a two-edged sword, folks. God's word's a two-edged sword. We've had just as many people, we've had more people walk out of this church after a message than we've had stick around. Verse uh, page six. Continuing on verse seven of Ezekiel 37, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. What divine power in bringing the bones to our to their proper position in the various bodies and forging the separated anatomy to reform itself. Verse 8, And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them yet. There was no breath in them. Not much improvement, huh, so far. No, there was only dead bodies. Instead of dry bones, there was something more to look at but nothing more agreeable and really no more life than there was before. But go on in verse nine, then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, the spirit, prophesy, son of man, prophesy unto the wind. What a strange thing to do, huh? But folks, there are no absurdities where God gives his command. Lord tells me to go and prophesy somewhere, whether it be at a funeral, a wedding. How about a bar? I hope not. Don't really want to go into one of those places, but he told me if I felt like he was leading me to be there, I would go. Also, we see in the last part of verse 9 and, and 10, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Ezekiel was very obedient. He only wanted to know the Lord's will, and then he raised no question, but did it at once, did it at once just as he was told to do so. He says, so I prophesied as he commanded me. It's a prime qualification in a servant of God that he should do exactly as he is bidden, not to think how he would like or to do it or, or to follow the plan that his own wisdom suggests, but just to do it as he is told, as Ezekiel did. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Now I want to stop there for a moment because I want to share with you something. I get a lot of advertisements from the world on how to grow the church here and rescue according to experts in the world. I've been I don't want to say harassed, but I've, I've been I've received pressure at times from different ones to preach more than just Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've been I've been said, all you do, and I've shared this with you, all you do is flap around on top of the water. You don't dive deep enough into scriptures. Folks, we're diving deep into scriptures right here. We're looking at God's will towards you and I. As he gives us these instructions, as he tells us what you don't do, I will, I do, I do for you. He tells us all these things. This is what Christ is telling us to do. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what the Lord tells us to do. That's what we go and do. 
Everything else will come about just as the Lord has meant it to be. Verses 10 through 11, we read these words back in our handout, bottom of page 6. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole uh, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our pots. Or in other words, they're saying there is no hope in us. We are dead and worse than dead. Our case is hopeless. There's no possibility of restoration for us. Yet the Lord answered, how often do you and I look at ourselves in the mirror and say that very same thing? Is there any hope for me? Is, is there any hope for me? If you feel at times that your faith is weak, that the Lord may not love you, that the Lord is distant from you, listen to these words. Look, how the, look, look at how the, word, the Lord answers in verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, grab a hold of this. That's what that means. Behold, grab a hold of this. O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. This is the promise to us. Turn away from what we see in this flesh and look to Christ. Look to him and look to him alone. Folks, there will be a house of Israel no matter what. God has his remnant. I was speaking with a brother earlier. That remnant is as the sand in the sea. We can't even imagine the number of people that there are that belong to God. <clears throat> the nation of Israel seemed to be dead and buried at that time. They had fallen away from the truths of God, but God would revive and restore it. He would regenerate it. Folks, this is a promise which may apply to us. Dear friends who are heavy, heavy of heart and full of despair, and who seem to, as if you were as good as dead and buried, our Lord speaks this promise. He says, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves. Therefore, believe his word as though it had been directed to you personally. Behold, O my people, he says to you, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of the graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And then we read in verse 13, and ye shall know, ye shall know that I am the Lord. Why? Because he's made himself your Lord. He's done everything. He's, made, he's given you the ability to believe. He's made himself your Lord. He says, you shall know that I am Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Great deliverances and almighty quickenings reveal God to us and make us know how glorious the great Jehovah is. I was asking uh, someone earlier today, do you believe? Do you believe God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe God. Are you, are you sure? Are you sure? Because... This is God's word to his people. What is his word? Whosoever believeth shall have everlasting life. Oh, 
God help us to believe. I believe, let, yet Lord help my unbelief. Verse 14. And shall put my spirit in you. And ye shall live. And I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I the Lord have spoken it and performed it. Saith the Lord. Divine regeneration. By grace ye are saved. What love the Savior has for his people. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Page 8. Now that we have a small understanding, folks, that's all we're ever going to have. We're not going to have any, anything else but a small understanding of what God, God's word means completely to us until we go through that door marked death. But he gives us, he comes to us on our, on, his, on our level, and he gives us a small understanding of his grace in regenerating us. We clearly see another side of this multifaceted, multi-sided diamond of grace. But how can this regeneration be? How can this new life be? And I thought to myself, you know, there's three points that I try to make in every message. I, I forget which minister told me. I, I'm pretty sure Pastor Gene has expressed this to me many times. But in learning to be a minister of God's sheep, I was told always include three points in every message. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? What has he done? For his people. And where is he right now? I thought scripture could do a, the best way to present that this evening. John 14, 6, we read these words. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. How can this regeneration be? How can this new life be? Jesus saith unto you and I. I am the way and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Folks, we got to stop trying to come to God on our own path, on our own ways. Every time we do, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're going to, we're going to have doubt. We have to come the only way there is, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who is this way? In John 10, 30, he says, I and my Father are one. You're coming to God boldly before the throne of grace, coming to God himself. What has he done? Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled, that's regenerated. That's it. That, that's, that's the same as being regenerated, reconciled, brought back to what was lost. We lost, we lost our Lord in the, in, the, in the 
the garden, when Adam sinned, we lost the Lord. We separated ourselves from God at that point, all mankind. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Where is he right now? Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of the glory of God, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Mm -hmm. 